Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. The title of my message today is Maintenance, Monotony, and Movies. Maintenance, Monotony, and Movies. Um, my, my kids are, are, are getting older. It's a weird thing that happens to children. Um, and Tegan, uh, my oldest, is now 14. And one of the really fun things about her, this is a photo of the two of us that she will not be annoyed later that I shared with all of you. It's a good photo, Tegan, okay? We look cute, okay? You look cute. I look okay, okay? But um, my daughter and I, one of the things that we bond over is we both love movies. And I've always loved movies. But, you know, there are a lot of things where you're just like, this would be so fun to watch. But, like, they're not into it or it's not really age appropriate yet. And so, and as an adult, it's like, man, there's only so many times you can watch Backyard Against the Movie and, uh, and, and not just be miserable. And so now she's at this age where we can share this sort of thing. And we're also kind of night owls. And so we have these moments where everybody else will go to bed and we'll stay up a little bit later and we'll watch a movie and you. Usually, if she's picking, it's a romantic comedy, and so we'll put it on and watch it. And as we're watching it, it's fun, like, watching her watch these things and the things that she observes about the way movies work, about the way stories work, about the way life works. And I remember this one time we were laying on the couches. We have a couple different couches, so we each get our own couch. It's a great, it's a great setup. And so we're both laying on our separate couches and we're watching this movie and I'm sort of like glancing over at her and watching her and she seems increasingly more confused as the movie's sort of like ripping on. And I'm like, I wonder what she's thinking. And in our family, we, we talk during movies. We feel like it augments the experience as we add our color commentary. And now that I'm saying that, maybe it's the reason no one wants to watch with Tegan and I, but we do this and we're both having a good time. And um, I'm just like, you look confused. And she's like, yeah, I have a question. And so I pause it and she's like, dad, does it kind of seem like, does it kind of seem like this lady should leave her husband and run away with that guy? And I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to lie to her. I'm like, it does kind of seem like she probably should do that. And she's like, right? But that's, that's bad, right? And I'm like, yes, that is bad. And she's like, but it feels like if she doesn't do it, she's not going to be happy. And I'm like, it does kind of feel like that in this movie. And she's like, what, what is going on? What's happening to us? And it was so funny to me. Like this idea of how movies suck us in. I wonder if you've ever had this experience too where you're watching something and you're so sucked into the storyline and like where things are going that you, you start rooting for the people in the story to do something that you would never suggest a real person do in real life. But it seems like it makes sense in the context of things. Like you find yourself rooting for people to do things that are dead set against your value system because you're so immersed in the story. I wonder if you've ever had this moment where you're just like, I mean, it's clear from this, uh, what she needs to do is have an affair and run away with that guy. That's what needs to happen here. And then you're like, what? That's wrong, right? Or you have this feeling of like, you know what? There's no other way out of this thing. They're clearly, they're gonna have to kill that guy at work. I mean, that's what they're gonna have to do. 
There's no other solution here, right? Normally I don't condone murder, but in this case, it's fine, right? And then you're like, what did I just say? What am I rooting for? What am I excited about? And this is sort of the bizarre, the, the bizarre thing that happens, the bizarre effect or power of stories. I think the power of a story is that compelling plot lines cause us to question priorities, like we, we sort of, we become seduced by the story in a way where we get completely sucked in and we start to like be interested in or root for things that a few minutes before like seemed like non-options. And sometimes this can be positive, right? And sometimes it can be negative. It depends on what the story is. Because there have been moments where you were sucked into a story and it inspired you to be a better version of yourself. And then there were other moments where you have been sucked in and you are rooting for someone to hide the drugs. You know what I mean? And you're like, what am I talking about? This is crazy and not okay. And the reason that this is relevant to our conversation about happiness this morning is that I think the message of most modern movies and shows and ads is essentially like, if you're unhappy, it's because your life is too predictable, repetitive, and routine. Like, that's the issue, right? Isn't that the opening sequence of movies? You're watching someone live a boring existence, and they're just, they're doing, like, they're just kind of going through their life, and they're just kind of slogging along, and they're miserable, and they hate things. And, and what becomes very evident is that the problem is their life is too predictable, it's too repetitive, it's too routine, they need something different. And, and usually the way that, like, plot lines work out, at least in our culture, is in a movie, the solution is you need to do something out of the ordinary, that is what is going to shake things up for you, right? You need to move or change jobs or have an affair or take up an unusual hobby or do something risky. You need to essentially blow up your life in order to experience something better. And if it's a commercial, sort of the guidance is a little bit different. And if it's a commercial, the solution is often you need to buy something out of the ordinary, right? You need to go get something that you don't currently have to boost your happiness. You need a new car. You need a pool. You need a new pair of shoes. You need some teeth whitening strips, okay? Some of you should get those, though, just for fun, because they're good, they're great, and they'll improve your photographs, okay? That's an aside. And so we do these things, right? We take the suggestion. We lean into, like, the movie solution, or we lean into the commercial solution, and we do this thing. And it works at least a little bit on at least a surface level. What we usually get from it is the novelty of the experience gives us, and our narrative, a, a sort of spike of adrenaline, which we experience as short-term pleasure, and, and then it sort of dissipates and doesn't always roll into long-term happiness because the newness wears off and eventually everything sort of resets back to where we started. Only, you know, with the part that movies and commercials don't include, which is like all the extra cleanup now that we have to do because we made some poor decisions, right? Now you've got all the debt to pay off for the thing that you bought that you couldn't afford. Now you've got some apologies to make for the things that you did that you probably shouldn't have done. Now you've got some relationships to repair. Now you've got some trust to rebuild. And yet, even though this is true, we just, we keep doing it. And I think a lot of the reason is because all of these, these movie plot lines and like Netflix plot lines and commercial plot lines are just rooted in our cultural narrative. And our cultural message is that happiness equals constant enjoyment. 
that that is actually what makes people happy. Which means, if this is true, anything that is routine, rhythmic, monotonous, or mundane is probably making your life miserable, and you should be sad for living such a boring life. Isn't that sort of the message that, that social media is giving you on a constant basis? That life is supposed to be a nonstop adventure full of new things and exciting experiences that will fill every moment of existence. And it is enticing. It, it may even feel convincing, but it's, it doesn't really seem to be working because pursuing an ever-present emotional high isn't really leaving us happier Statistically, it is leaving us more distracted and depressed than ever. And I don't need to even tell you this, like you can sense that it's true in your own life, right? Our attention spans are shrinking. Every ounce of stillness or uh, slowness or silence in our life, we feel the overwhelming impulse to fill with like fiddling with our phones. Expertise is totally evaporating. We all know like very little about a lot of things, but we don't know a lot about really anything. Uh, but don't worry, we do uh, feel the right to be every bit as cocky and condescending about what we do think we know. We leave little time to sort of reflect on what we're doing or what we're thinking or what we're learning in life. And because of it, below the surface, inside of our soul, we have this sneaking suspicion that maybe some of what we're doing in life isn't really worthwhile. And that is a terrifying feeling. It manifests in anxiety. And, and so to avoid it, we find ourselves just saying, like, just keep moving, you know, just, just, just keep pushing and hustling and hoping that maybe the next thing that I do or the next thing that I buy is, is going to be the last thing that I'm going to have to do to fix or fulfill this sort of angsty vacuum inside of me. But it doesn't end up working. No matter how far we chase it, it, it never pays off. Because the reality is, What's fun isn't always fulfilling, and what's fulfilling isn't always fun. Isn't that annoying? Like, there are certain truths where it's just like, that, can we just delete that one? That one's frustrating. And, and, and in fact, when we get to the New Testament, um, the, the writer who writes is credited with having written the bulk of it, the Apostle Paul, he, he tells us, probably unsurprisingly, that, that pursuing fulfillment is primarily about pursuing God which we would expect somebody who's like writing in the Bible to tell us. But the, the reason that he gives is what is fascinating about me. He says that when we do this, when we prioritize chasing fulfillment over fun, that, that certain things happen. Uh, he writes this in a letter to the Galatian people, which he cleverly titles Galatians. Um, verse, it's chapter five, verse 22. He says this, that when we pursue fulfillment, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is the natural result. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what I find interesting about this list of things that end up being produced in our life as a result of us pursuing God above all else is that like, some of them are certain ways of feeling. Like that actually what God wants to do is produce certain feelings in our life. Like love is partially a feeling, joy, peace, patience. 
their emotional states that fit under the umbrella of happiness. But it's more than just that. Like God also produces in us when we pursue him certain ways of being, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all ways of approaching your life with commitment, consideration, and character, which is enormously fulfilling. And so this is the problem that we end up encountering in our lives. There is this cultural message that tells us that happiness equals constant enjoyment. But then there's this Christian message that tells us that happiness equals Christ-centered fulfillment. And what is fulfillment? Fulfillment is fruitfulness. It's the awareness of the presence of all of these things that the Apostle Paul talks about increasing and multiplying in your everyday life. And it means that in order to step towards fulfillment, we have to actually prioritize in our lives something different than what our culture tells us to do. We have to prioritize discipline over distraction. And maybe the problem that you can easily see here is the problem that we all encounter. The problem that we're often like presented with in movies and stories and, and plot lines that we find ourselves getting stuck, sucked into. We find that there is a conflict often between these two definitions that sometimes as it turns out, um, pursuing what is fulfilling is fun, but sometimes it isn't. And when this conflict arises in life, we're forced to make a choice. And that choice, what we chase after, what we move towards in the moment, often reveals our value system to us. And so I want to give you a, a, a biblical example of, of how this works. Um, it's, it's from the story in the Old Testament. It's a really famous story that you may remember, like from kids' church, if you grew up in church. But essentially, the, the people of God were en route to this place called the promised land because it was this big you know, plot of land that God had promised to them. And we've established they're very creative with their titles. And so uh, they believed like if they can just get to this place that life will loosen up and that God is gonna deliver all of these things that they're so desperate for. So they can't wait to get to this place. And they're, they're traveling and traveling to get to there. Um, but there is this huge obstacle en route to get to this place. It's the city of Jericho. It's this enormous walled city. And the reality is they can't settle into the next phase of life until they deal with this thing in front of them. And they are an ancient tribal people. And so their impulse to deal with the situation is we should just charge in. We should fight them. We should like attack them and destroy them because that, that, I mean, that would, that would just do it. That would do it really quick. God is on our side. And that sounds heroic and exciting and adventurous and adrenaline inducing. And they thought in the moment, the thing that you and I typically think, you know how I know this is definitely what God wants me to do? because it's what I want to do. And God wants me to be happy. And this would be enjoyable. I would like doing it this way. It gets it over quick. I get a big adrenaline rush. Like this would be fun and exciting. And then they go to God and he has a different idea altogether. You ever present God with your ideas of how to move forward? And he's just like, wow, thanks for playing. And then it's like a totally different thing. It's like taking suggestions from your little kids about where to go to dinner. They're like, we know an ice cream spot. And you're like, that was awesome. Serious answers only, right? This is what God actually says to them. Joshua chapter six, verse two. 
He says, I have given you Jericho, its king and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men, they're called soldiers, should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast, all the people, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town will collapse. I love trying to picture Joshua trying to tell everyone else what God told him. That's, I don't want that job. Like, are we gonna do it? Let's go in. I sharpened my ax. He's like, we won't be needing that today. Okay, I pre- you know what? I appreciate it though, okay? Um, proactivity, and I like that about, you know, fighting men. They're called soldiers. And so, but here's the thing. We're gonna do, we're gonna do a little, what God had told me was this other thing. And I want you just for a minute just to think about the difference between what God asked them to do versus what they wanted to do. He tells them to march instead of fight. He says to worship instead of argue. He says that they should be focused instead of frantic. He says it's going to take six days instead of one, which means if I'm listening to the plan, I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. That is not a list of anything that sounds fun to me. Isn't this like oftentimes what frustrates us about like our interactions with God? We're like, I want to fight, messing people up. And he's like, what? You're going to march slow and steady, right? Like, I'm going to argue. I feel like I got some good points to make and I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to tell him. And he's like, why don't, let's worship instead, Right? Well, I want to do something that like, like gets my adrenaline going and like with all this frantic energy that I pretend that I hate, but I'm addicted to it. I want to do that thing. No, no, no. Let's just be focused on just this thing, this one thing that I ask you to do instead of just busying ourselves with a bunch of things that make us feel good because we're busy, but not effective. Well, I, I feel like it should just take a day, half a day. Can we do it over lunch? God's like, it's going to be a little bit more than that. Okay. A lot of marching. A lot of walking, a lot of persistence, a lot of consistency, which often isn't what we want. Like, why? Why would God do it this way? And I think the the easy, like, Sunday school answer that we could throw out is, like, because it's God. He can do whatever he wants to. And they just got it. And he's testing their obedience. And that's probably true. But also, like, what would the people gain from doing it this way? Because I think this story although it's like a really old one, is anecdotal of a lot of our interactions with God. Because here's what I believe is true. We want rapid results and resolutions, but God often works through regular rhythms and routines. And we don't like that. And why is it that we don't want to do it that way? You know why? Because it sounds mundane and monotonous. That sounds boring. Listen, God, I don't know if you understood my prayer request. Um, but I, I, listen, I asked you for something fun. And it feels like you're responding with something fulfilling. It, that doesn't sound interesting, just to be honest with you. I don't know if I want to do that. You ever been there? And can I just tell you that, like, 
when God assigns us to do something with a certain amount of repetition, it's not random. We think it is. Oh, he's just testing you for the sake of it. That's not really the way that God, that's not really his thing. It's probably that there's something he's trying to instill in us that he knows will lead to our happiness. Because the reality of it was for these people and with us, you can't repeat certain rhythms without increasing your level of commitment, consideration, and character. And these are the things that God actually cares about. And so here's the question that I wanna pose to you today as we're trying to wrestle with and wrap up what it means to be happy. What might God be asking you or I to do on a regular basis that may feel mundane and monotonous, but is likely to produce true happiness? I think this is the key question that we often don't want to ask because we, we feel like if we ask it, God may have an answer and then we don't want to do that stuff. Because oftentimes we don't really want to participate in the miracle that God has for us. We want God to perform a magic trick right now with no effort from us. But this isn't often how God changes the world, let alone your life. God wants to partner with you in the process of your own fulfillment. So what does this look like? Now, in addition to some of the other stuff that we've looked at so far, studies show that happy people tend to have three specific habits that have a lot to do with what we're talking about today. Um, one is that they take care of their physical bodies. Um, two is that they act their way into feeling better. And three is that they pursue the sacred alongside other people. And it's not just that they do these things, but that they make a priority to repeat these things, to make a rhythm of these things, to consistently do these things throughout their life. In, in other words, like these happy people in life have this tendency to holistically care for their body, their soul, and their spirit. Now, this is not a new thought from science. This is an old thought from scripture. Like ancient God followers encouraged people to prioritize these same things over and over and over again, including the greatest spiritual teacher of all time, Jesus. And this is probably something that you have heard, right? His rendition of this. It's, uh, there's a version of it in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus is talking and he's asked this question about like, what makes life fulfilling? What's the point of existence? How do we experience happiness? And his response is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, this isn't like a Jesus original, and he's technically plagiarizing, okay, from Moses. But, I mean, Jesus is God, and God gave it to Moses. So technically, he's plagiarizing the person that plagiarized him, okay? So it's all, it's all fine, right? But he's quoting something from Torah, from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. He's quoting this idea that, like, predates him by thousands of years because this idea of holistic integration was ingrained in the people that Jesus grew up with and around, it was part of how they saw life. This idea that if you want to experience a full life, a happy life, that you have to prioritize caring for your body, your soul, and your spirit. And so what do we mean by these things? I wanna just break them down one by one. What does it mean to take care of our bodies? Now, I'm not gonna give you like a ton of details on this because um, you guys have Google 
And there are a ton of health experts that have a lot of amazing things to say because this is their area of expertise. But like, just to keep it like a, a short overview, it's stuff you already know, right? Get enough sleep, be active, move, stretch, eat healthy foods that are nutrient rich, be mindful of what you put in and on your body, um, you know, be be aware of the amount of stimulus you're taking in. Um, not stimulus money from the government, but like we're talking about like, you know, just noise from, from the culture, from the environment, from technology. And again, these are things that like probably don't surprise most of us. We're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. But I'll tell you what frustrates me about this list, about the fact that I know that this is true, is that the ancient world that the Israelites lived in made it way easier for them to do this than for us to do this. Have you ever looked back in time and just been like, probably was easier for you to be healthy? You know, it's like you see pictures of people of old and you're like, not as many fat people. It's really frustrating. What, what is the deal there? And, and part of it, if you look at this day and age, there's no electricity, right? You, you, you rose uh, and went to bed with the sun. You walked everywhere. All of the food was organic without preservatives and additives, okay? You don't have to read a label. There were no labels, right? You just got it in the wild. Like all of the sort of chemicals that poison our air and our food and our water and, and our household products, those things didn't even exist. There were no TVs or phones or streaming services to overstimulate us. And you know what all this means? It means that in order to prioritize the health of your body, which affects the health of your spirit, you're gonna to have to work harder than they did in some ways to get there. And yet, it's, it's worth it. it. It ought to be a priority. In Galatians chapter five, verse 25, again, the, the apostle Paul is writing this letter that we read part of earlier. And he goes on to say, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives every part of our lives, that God actually has a, a best way to live that impacts every part of our lives. And, and part of the reason that this author is stressing this is in response to this idea called Gnosticism, right? Which is this really popular Greek philosophy at the time, which, which taught that like a human's, um, a human's soul or spirit is good, but your body is evil, right? So as long as you, you sort of intellectually believe the right things, you can pretty much do whatever you want to physically with your body because the two don't really impact and affect one another. They, they, they don't really have any connection. But Jesus and Paul teach the opposite. There's this thing that, that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verse 19, where he says, don't you realize? Now, why would you start a speech this way? Because they did not realize, okay? Nobody realized. So he's like, don't you realize? You've started things this way. Like, do you guys get it? And what you're saying is nobody gets it, right? I'm about to unpack it for you. And so no, everybody's living as if this thing that is so clearly true is not true. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So honor God with your body. There's a lot of implications here, but why does God tell us this? I think at the base of it all, it is to, to remind us that you are an integrated being. You are body, soul, and spirit. And that means that how you care for one impacts and affects the other. Like if you trash your body, you are gonna reap the consequences emotionally and spiritually. 
And you've experienced this before. You ever like, like just been down like the day after you made some horrible food choices? You're just like, I feel sad. And people are like, why? And you're like, I don't know. And then if you're like me, your wife is just like, could it have anything to do with that giant tub of ice cream that's empty in the sink? And I'm like, no, that's a coincidence. I'm talking about stuff not real. The inverse is true too, right? Like you, you've had the experience of, of, of like something not being right emotionally and it affecting you physically. You ever been so heartbroken that you are physically sick? It's because you are an integrated being. You were body, soul, and spirit. Like these things are parts of you, but they're inseparable. And science shows us that this is true. Now, obviously, there's a lot of ways that, um, you know, uh, being physically active um, benefits you physically. But, but a lot of times we don't realize how it benefits us emotionally. The reality is, like all the studies show that aerobic exercise is as effective at treating depression as Zoloft and Prozac. Now think about that for a minute. Scientists actually, the general consensus now is that um, exercise is the most effective, truly tested way of boosting happiness and fighting depression. It's something that we all know to do. We don't often do it. And I want to be clear here. They're saying that active people are happier, not necessarily fit people, okay? So I just want to like give you some peace in your heart right now. So I know you're listening to that being like, what? So I got to be ripped or I'm going to be miserable? No, because we all know people that are really fit and not happy. And I know a, a lot of guys at the gym who are there every single day, like, you know, like working, being active and they got dad bodies. And I hang out with them because I'm like, we are the same, okay? It surprises people sometimes. They're like, you work out a lot? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, it doesn't look like it. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Wow, we're not friends anymore. It's because I also like wings, okay? Just leave me alone. I'm getting the happiness boost. What do you care? I'm not married to you. My wife likes love handles. At least that's what she wrote in the anniversary card. I don't, you know what? I don't need to go into it. And here's the thing. It is because you are an inseparably integrated being that everything you do physically affects you emotionally. Now, I think sometimes we don't take this far enough as far as the science actually bears it out. We think like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, I, like sleeping or like working out or eating healthy, like that can affect my emotional state. But it goes way beyond that. Research reveals that it extends to things like smiling, laughing, hugging, shaking hands, giving high fives, um, putting your arm around someone, having an open body posture, uh, being in proximity to other positive people and just doing the things that they're doing. Isn't that fascinating? These are things that happy people do. And all the studies show that like, you know, whether you feel like it or not, if you do what happy people do, you will become happier too. Because this is the way you're constructed. And why is that true? Because you reap the benefits of what you do, not of what you know to do or feel like doing. And this sometimes we feel like is unjust. I know what to do, so I should get points for that. 
It doesn't really work like that, right? Well, I don't feel like doing it. You don't have to. You know something crazy? If you really don't feel like going for a jog, but you go for a jog and maybe even smile at one or two people while you're jogging, which is difficult to do because jogging is not fun. Even though you didn't feel like doing it, you still get the benefits from it. Isn't that crazy? Like no matter how disgusting the health food is that you're eating, even if you hate it, you still get the benefits from it. It's weird because you don't actually have to like it in order for it to have a positive impact on you. And, and this is why, um, you know, experts annoyingly keep telling us to act our way into feeling better because they understand that if you commit to do certain things physically, that it will buoy you emotionally and even spiritually. Now, Paul, he says the same exact thing in another place. Galatians chapter six, verse seven. He says, don't be misled. You will always harvest what you plant. Like everything has a ripple effect. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. And so let's not get tired of doing what's good because at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And essentially what he's saying is, you know, what you do daily makes a difference. If you do whatever you feel like, and that's sort of the, what you allow to lead you and what you fill your schedule with because your idea of happiness is cultural and you believe that happiness equals consistent enjoyment no matter what, you are gonna end up making some bad decisions and reaping those consequences because that's how life works. But if you see happiness as Christ-centered fulfillment and that's what you make your decisions and that's what you pursue you chase after what God says is best for you holistically. You care for your body, your soul, and your spirit. You will experience true joy. And the writer here is just like, I'm just gonna be real with you. It is not always gonna be fun. But if you stick with it, it is fulfilling. And that's where true happiness comes from. Like, let's not give up. Let's not give up when it's not fun. Let's press through until we experience the fulfillment that God promises. And that brings us to this last idea of pursuing the sacred alongside others, which you know, the, the research defines as seeking spiritual guidance from help and help from something bigger, smarter, and more powerful than you through a particular place, practice, and people. Like committing to being around certain people and pursuing something that is bigger than you for help and, and guidance. And I mean, this makes a lot of sense to us. For, for the Israelites, it meant putting God first, right? It meant prioritizing his instructions over their gut feelings. It meant processing everything through the lens of prayer before they made any decisions and moved forward. It meant gathering with other people and sort of wrestling with like, what in the world does this scripture mean and how do we apply it? It meant worshiping alongside other people. And you know what is interesting to me is that it essentially means all those same things now. And we're instructed in the New Testament to make this as important to us now as it was to them then. There's this verse in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the 10th chapter, that says, let us not, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now. And studies show that, that people who actively 
and publicly participate in faith alongside other people are happier overall. And the most fascinating part of all of this, the way that this scripture is phrased and the way all of the research ends up coming up is the the crucial piece of this is that people are pursuing God in person with other people. Like not just by themselves listening to a podcast, like, you know, praying in their car. And these things are great things and I hope you do those things. They're just not enough. What is it about like getting together with other people and pursuing the sacred alongside other people that benefits us in such a big way? I think if you back up to the verses just before this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, the same author says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And this is it. This is why this is so powerful. It's getting together and reminding each other that God can be trusted and to push one another to act in ways that are good and loving. And I'll tell you, when you isolate yourself, when you try and tackle life on your own, you you find yourself sliding in the opposite direction. You ever notice that like when you have too much time by yourself just to be alone with your dark thoughts and you don't get together with other people of faith, you find yourself believing that God can't be trusted? That everything is doomed? That there's nothing to push forward or live for? Except ice cream, but that's not gonna sustain you forever. So you find yourself like not not being drawn to acting in ways that are good and loving, but acting in ways that like you regret, that are damaging and self-destructive in ways that you're just like, that is objectively like bad. That's unloving to myself, to the other people. I don't even like what I'm doing or who I'm becoming right now. Today is our, our 24th birthday as a church and when I hear people talk about what is meaningful about our church to them, this is what they talk about. They, they talk about the need to stumble into a place on a Sunday morning after a rough week and be reminded by a group of people that God can be trusted. To rub shoulders with people who are just like, listen, you can do it. I wanna encourage you, like push forward into like living in ways and doing things that demonstrate goodness and love. That's who you are. That's who you wanna be. And I need, I need the reminder. I need the uplift. I need the encouragement. And interestingly, I, I found that like when you pursue the sacred alongside other people, that those people end up helping you act your way into feeling better. That those people end up helping you Take care of your physical body if it's a healthy spiritual community. But the reality is that sometimes it backfires. We all know people who hate church, who don't want to have anything to do with God, who've sworn off Christ and Christianity. And it's because people engaged in spiritual community that, that don't do these things, they suffer from it. 
like if the environment that you engage with leads you to believe that, you know, it's all God's responsibility. There's nothing for me to do. An environment that tells you that like God is far away and he's probably angry with you. That God only likes people who are like us and could care less about everybody else. That, 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 that God doesn't want us to question our leaders. People who experience spiritual environments like that, it has an incredibly toxic effect and it ends up stealing their happiness instead of supplying them with it. It's sad because a lot of people end up walking away and withdrawing from the very thing they need to find fulfillment. And it's sad because they're hurt and also because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't make sense to give up taking care of your physical health because you had a bad experience at a gym one time. Like that guy was a jerk and he clanged the weights and he did not wipe his sweat off the bench. I'm not taking care of my body anymore. I'm out of here. (laughs) It doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense to be like, you know what? I'm not eating healthy and I'll tell you why. The first time I tasted kale, it was disgusting. And I'll tell you every time I taste kale, it's disgusting, okay? That's how it tastes. That's its flavor. Disgusting. But there's other stuff. And anything you dip in ranch dressing tastes a little bit good. But that's just because I grew up in the Midwest. But the goal is still worth pursuing. And I just want to echo what the Apostle Paul says, like, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't get tired of doing what's good. So here's my suggestion to you today to do what you know you need to do, especially when you don't want to. For your, for your body, for your soul, and for your spirit. Because all of us have a certain space where it is so tempting to phone it in but because you are a holistic, integrated being, it drags you down. I'll tell you that every single one of us are gonna encounter a point in which we are seduced by a storyline in our own lives that tells us like, "Mm, you don't wanna do that. That's not fun. It would be so much more fun to do something different And depending on which definition of happiness you subscribe to, that'll determine what you, what you do. And yet one path leads to destruction and one path leads to life. What if you decided to live differently? What if you decided to do what you know you need to do, especially when you don't want to for your body, your soul, and your spirit? You will have times where it is fun and it isn't fun, but I'll tell you one thing, it will always be fulfilling because God can be trusted. That's what's true. God can be trusted. 
And this is what I wanna pray into your life today. Would you bow your heads across this room? The truth is, your struggle is different from every other person's because there's one arena that's way more difficult for you to get a handle on, your body, your soul, or your spirit. And the reality of it is, if you could do what you needed to do in every arena by yourself, you'd have already done it. But you can't. You need God's help. You need God's help to obey God on the path to fulfillment. And it begins with surrender. Saying like, God, help me to prioritize you over everything else. And man, if that's you this morning where you're just at a place where you're like, I, you know, I'm sick of chasing happiness in the wrong places. It's not working. And there's so much cleanup that I'm still doing in my life from pursuing enjoyment over fulfillment. And I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to invite him to lead me forward. If that's you, with everybody's eyes closed, everyone's head bowed, would you just slip a hand up? I'm not going to embarrass you, ask you to come up here. I just want to know who I'm praying for, believing that God can transform everything about the way you live. Awesome. God, I thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. I thank you for the life that you give us. I thank you that you show us the best way to live. And God, I know that there are so many of us who are spinning our wheels, pursuing a cultural definition of happiness that's leaving us hurt, disheveled in pain. And your heart breaks because our heart is broken. God, you wanna gift us with your forgiveness, with your mercy, with your grace, with your healing. But you don't want to just give us a gift and then abandon us. You want to take our hand and lead us forward into a fulfilling existence in the here and now. God, may you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And may you empower us with all of the fruit of the Spirit to follow you forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.